God made man according to his image and likeness. So God could not curse man. He cursed the ground. Praise God. And God said, out of the sweat of thy brow, thou shalt eat bread. Sweat signifies struggle, toil, hard labor. So that was the fate of man. It was the pronouncement of the consequences for sin. Hard labor, sweat and toil. So Jesus had to deal with it before he even went to the cross. The Bible says that as he prayed, his sweat became like great drops of blood. I told you it was a medical term called hematidrosis. Where under intense mental torture and pressure, the blood capillaries can burst and enter through the sweat glands and cause a man to sweat blood. And the pressure of Jesus taking the sin of the whole world was so strong that it burst his blood capillaries. And he began to sweat blood. And immediately, the curse of Genesis 3 was broken. You don't have to sweat to get anything. Now, this is revelation. You can choose to or choose not to. You see, the difference between one Christian and the other is revelation. Praise God. So, Jesus sweat for your sweat. He sweat for your sweat. So, today, you don't sweat before you eat. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. We live by faith. We don't live by how much we have in our account. You know, some of you, you are working. So they pay you after 31 days. So you don't know what it means to live by faith. Because you know whatever happens, you'll be paid. But God does not want you to live that way. Because something can happen. So don't put your faith in salary. Don't put your faith in allowances. The just shall live not by his salary. The just shall live by faith. Glory. And you see, because you have limited yourself to your, to your salary, you find it even difficult giving in church. Because you think that you have to calculate well, if not, the month will not go well for you. But listen, you don't take care of yourself. Your father in heaven takes care of you. And his God shall supply all your needs according to his riches, not your bank account. In glory, in Christ Jesus. So, listen, the Bible says God's riches is in glory in Christ. Your riches is not in your bank, it's in glory. The glory, the, the amount of glory you have built within you is the amount of wealth you enjoy. Thank you, Lord. Then we spoke of, you know, I couldn't speak yesterday about the trials of Jesus. Everything they did to Jesus was a plot. You were not supposed to arrest a man in the night. It was unlawful. But Jesus was arrested at night. So many illegalities about the arrest of Jesus. And I can't go into that. You need to get my book, Excursion to the Cross. Jesus underwent six trials. Amazing. One was an ass. Not the ass, we know. One was an ass. For an ass, he went to Caiaphas. From Caiaphas, he went to the Sanhedrin. From the Sanhedrin, he went to Pilate. From Pilate, he went to Herod. And from Herod, he came back to Pilate before he was crucified. And I can't explain all that because it is very long. So Jesus Christ was also beaten. We explained that yesterday. Let me have a picture of the matrix. 
Many a times we thought Jesus was whipped with a cane. He wasn't whipped with a cane. This is the instrument. It's called the matrix or the flagrum or the cut of nine tails. It's a leather handle with nine outlets. And on each outlet, it has broken pieces of, of, of metals and bones and lead and iron on each. So when you are just hit with one, it's as though you are being hit nine. And according to history, when you are hit with this, when, by the time they are done with you, you lose blood. Some die in the process. Praise God. And Jesus took 40 of this. The Romans whip you 40, the Jews whip you 39. They spare one for you to go free. After whipping someone 39, what's the extra one for? But significantly, the Bible says, by his stripes we were healed. That means every single stripe Jesus took was for one disease. According to the medics, there are 39 root diseases in the world today. 39 root diseases. And Jesus took 40, so he broke all the 39 root diseases and the extra one he took was for any extra disease that would add that to it. This is good news. Isaiah 53, the Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, Peter comes in 1 Peter 2, the verse 24, it says, by his stripes we were healed. So the healing of the believer is in the past. So you appropriate it by faith, I declare you will never be sick this year. Amen. Hallelujah. We also came when Pilate presented Barabbas and Jesus and asked them to choose one. Barabbas was a wicked man. He was a murderer. He caused insurrection. Insurrection is when uh, people rise up against the Roman government to cause coup d'etat, to, to exchange keys, and he was arrested. So this guy was supposed to die. Jesus was innocent, and they brought both of them. Criminal, but an innocent man. They said, choose one. And guess what? Surprisingly, they chose Barabbas over Jesus. It's amazing. God used all these things for our benefit. The word Barabbas is from two Hebrew words. Bar, which means son. Abba, father. So Barabbas means son of my father. Praise God. And Jesus, who was supposed to be set free, was bound. Barabbas, who was supposed to be bound, was set free. It was an exchange. Barabbas was asked. Barabbas was asked. We were supposed to die, but on the cross there was an exchange. Jesus took our place so that we would become sons of the Father. Sons of the Father. This is good news. This is the gospel of Jesus. There was an exchange. Hallelujah. And we quickly continue our message from here. The next thing that happened to Jesus was that they placed a crown of thorns on his head. And many times we just say crown of thorns and we just celebrated that he wore crown of thorns. But the crown of thorns was not just crown of thorns. It had a spiritual significance. Because nothing Jesus experienced was for a waste. Now come with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Genesis, good. He says, Unto Adam, he said, Because thou hast taken unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, in sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of your life. Next verse. He says, 
thorns and thistles shall it bring forth unto thee. So thorns, thorns and thistles was a curse. Now thorns represent something. You need to write this down. It represents limitation, number one. Number two, it represents setbacks. Number three, it represents unfruitfulness. Number four, it represents poverty. Number five, it represents obstacles. It also represents hindrance to progress. It also represents rejection. It represents curse. It represents worthlessness. It represents toil. It represents struggle. And hard labor. Now, Numbers chapter 33, verse 55. Numbers 33, 55. Now, look at that. It says, But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain of them shall be bricks in your eyes and thorns in your sights. This was not literal. God was using now this one as a figurative speech to tell them that if you don't drive these people out of the land, there will be thorns in your sights. That means there will be hindrances to your progress. So thorns signifies hindrance. Are you following this? 2 Corinthians 12, 7. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. He says, unless I should be exalted about measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. It was not literal. It was figurative. Thorn in the flesh means limitation. Praise God. Hallelujah. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 19. Proverbs 15, 19. Quickly. The way of the slothful man is an hedge of thorns. So thorns represents a hedge. That means that you are limited. You cannot go beyond where the edge is. Where the hedge is. So thorns represents limitation. You are hindered from moving beyond where you're supposed to go. Are you following this? Matthew chapter 13, verse 3 to 8. They're going to see when Jesus Christ was describing the parable of the sower. He said, the one that fell into the thorns are those which wanted to grow, but the thorns choked it and prevented it from growth. So, Tongues represents that which hinders progress. Finally, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 8. Watch this. He says, But that which beareth tongues and prayers is rejected. So tongues represents rejection. Number one, he says, and is now unto cursing. Two, whose end is to be bent? Distraction. Are you seeing this? So he says it shall produce tongues and distills. Representing hindrances and limitation. And guess what? Jesus wore the crown of thorns. Matthew chapter 27, verse 29. Look, he says that when they had plated a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and they read in his hand. So they put a crown of thorns in the head of Jesus. Now, they didn't understand what they were doing, but in God's program, God was breaking the curse of limitation and hindrance in your life. Someone is not getting this thing. You cannot be hindered anymore because Jesus Christ has received the consequence of your sin. So listen, the ground was cursed that it shall produce thorns and thistles, and Jesus wore the crown. 
with me that Jesus took the consequences of struggle, limitation, rejection, cursing. It has been received by this man. I prophesy upon just two people here. I declare in the name of Jesus that you will never experience any hindrance in your life. I see you moving forward, going beyond what your family members could not accomplish. I see you taking over in your family, taking over in your company, taking over everywhere you find yourself. You are moving out of your comfort zone. You are going and breaking barriers. You are breaking records in your family, breaking records in your office, breaking records amongst your family members and friends. You are moving beyond what you expected. I declare over your life in the name of the Lord Jesus that you will move forward. You will march forward. The Bible says the part of the just is like a shining sun, shining ever brighter and brighter onto the perfect day. You are moving beyond limitation. Beyond limitation. Because Jesus wore the crown of thorns. Tell someone I cannot be limited. There can be no hindrance in my life. There can be no setback in my life. There can be no hard labor in my life. There is no rejection in my life. There are no setbacks in my life. There is no unfruitfulness in my life. You cannot be unfruitful. Jesus wore the crown of thorns. And amazingly, can I have a picture of the, of the, of the crown of thorns? Look, this is how it looks like. These soldiers were so skillful in designing evil. <laughs> and according to history, when I was studying, it's, it's just so amazing. They deliberately designed the crown in such a way that it will not fit your head. So they will have to force it on your head. How? They have a rod they will use to hit your head so that the, the thorny area enters into your skull. That's what they do, deliberately. So that when you need to turn your head, it can't move anywhere because it's inside your skull. That's what it is. Do you know what this tells me? It tells me that any disease related to your head, Jesus took it. Brain tumor, brain cancer, anything related to your head, migraines. From tonight, by this understanding, I'm not seeing you anywhere near cancer of the brain. Too much in the brain. I see your head being okay. If you are here, you study, you don't understand. Jesus has won the crown. He won the crown of thorns so that you wear the crown of glory, the crown of a king, the crown of a glorious man. You are wearing a different crown. It's the crown of glory. It's a crown of glory. Amen. So you don't see this anymore. You see the crown of glory on your head. Hallelujah. Today in Christ Jesus. The Bible says God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. <laughs> Begin to experience a sound mind in your life. And some of you don't have a sound mind. You don't have a sound mind. You have been bothering your thoughts with so many. You have been bombarding your thoughts with so many thoughts. Some years ago, when I'm sitting in the church front, and the car is going, I feel that the car will open and I'll fall down. Those are those laughing are experiencing this now. <laughs> I'm telling you. So I just hold it, then it's like this. So the time we get there, thoughts. Sometimes I'll be there and I'll be thinking. So if I die, how will my phone not be? 
You know, you see how bad it is, but I was thinking about it. And so, whoa, somebody cried for me. He said, we don't be crying. Wow. I was, see, I was, I was enjoying this thought. And you see, gradually it was forming something because as a man thinking, so he is. So I was getting closer to my grave. Sorry. And many of you are here, a lot of thoughts have been bombarding you. Crazy thoughts, thoughts you can't share. If people should know what is going through, into your thoughts, you'll never be your friend. <laughs> I'm telling you. But listen, Jesus has given you a sound mind. And you must demand it. Say, I have a sound mind. I have a sound mind. Say, I have a sound mind. I have a sound mind. And some of you are still being haunted by some dreams you got some years ago. Now it has formed the basis of your thinking. Anything that happens, you actually need to start dream. Listen to me. You have a sound mind in Christ. Praise God. Say, I have a sound mind. Come on, shout it. I have a sound mind. Shout I have a sound mind. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Now, let me have the image of the man with the cloth. Now, something happened. They took all of Jesus' clothes. And the soldiers shared it amongst themselves. Now, you see, many of you don't think it was significant. But it's beautiful. I'm going to teach you something here. They took the clothes. Now, normally, when a criminal is about to be killed or crucified, the soldiers inherit their clothes and they share it amongst each other as sports from these criminals. So they share the nice clothes among themselves. So the soldiers took the clothes of Jesus and they divided it among themselves. Let's look at Matthew 27, verse 35. Now look, he says, and they crucified him and parted his garments casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets they parted my garments among them and upon my vesture they did cast lots now come to John chapter 19 verse 23 to make it more clearer John 19 23 look at this he says then the soldiers when they had crucified Jesus took his garments so you see many a times we were thinking that Jesus was wearing one dress and they took it and they cut it into four and they divided it no that would have been racks what are they going to use rags for? Jesus was wearing more than one cloth. In fact, a Jewish man does not wear one cloth. So many of you are thinking like a Ghanaian, as if he was wearing t-shirts and jeans. Stop thinking that way. Jewish men don't dress that way. So he says, they took his garments and made four parts. That means they divided into four. To every soldier and also his coat. Have you seen this? The first was his garments. Now his coat. Something happened about this coat. He says, now the coat was without seam. It was seamless. Woven from the top throughout. Come to 24. Look at this. They sent therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lot for it, which it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which was which said, they parted my raiment among themselves. And for my vesture, they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now, this is amazing. On that day when they arrested Jesus, Jesus was having five garments. Come back to the picture. 
Number one was the turban, which was a headgear. Do you see? Yeah. That's how the Jewish people dressed. It was called the turban or the headgear. That's number one. Number two was the gedel. It was like a belt. Do you see the gedel? Good. That's number two. Number three, it was a clock. Clock is an overgarment that hangs loosely from the shoulders. That is the brown one you see over, over it, right? Good. Then the fourth one was the sandals. That's how they dress. Then the fifth one was the seamless robe, the one which is inside. Are you seeing? The soldiers were four. They divided the four. So one took his clock, one took his stubborn, one took his sandals, one took his belt. It was left with one. It was called the robe. But they could not tear it amongst them because there were four. And the angels were five. It was left with one. So they couldn't say, let us tear it into pieces and share. So he says, okay, let's cast lots. So after they distributed, only this one left, they could not distribute. They had to cast lots. So they could not tear his cloth into pieces. Now, the word robe without sin was actually the very inner garment the priest and the high priest wore. Now, according to the law, if you are a priest, your garment must not tear or you must not tear your garment. The moment you tear your garment, you lose your authority as a priest. If a high priest tears his garment with this robe, that inner seamless robe, if a high priest tears it, he's no longer in office. Let's come to the, the Bible. Leviticus chapter 21, the verse 10. You're going to see there. Why they could not tear the, the seamless robe? He says, and, and he that is the high priest among his brethren, upon whose head that anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments, shall not uncover his head, nor rend his clothes. It was a law. Let's come to the next one. Leviticus 10, 6. And this is so significant, okay? Look. He says, And Moses said to Aaron, and unto Eleazar, and unto Itma, and his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend or tear your clothes. According to the Jewish law, if a high priest tears off his garment, he has lost his office. He has lost his authority as a high priest. Are you following this? But instead of the soldiers tearing the robe, seamless robe of Jesus, they, they did it. They left it and cast lot. So his robe was still intact, right? Look at what happened. Matthew, no, come to... Um, Where is the scripture? Matthew chapter 26, the verse 65. Matthew 26, 65. Look at what happened. Look, he says, Then the high priest, Jesus made a certain statement, and the high priest was offended and angry, and he forgot himself. And look at what he did. And the high priest, which is Caiaphas, rent his clothes, saying, He had spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now we have heard his blasphemy. So, the high priest then, who was according to the order of Levi, rent his clothes. Spiritually, he lost the office. Jesus' cloth was intact. He took over the office. Now it's amazing. This high priest tore his clothes and lost his office. Jesus' cloth, they couldn't tear it. To tell us that Jesus Christ took over the priesthood. 
But guess what? John the Baptist was the, the son of a high priest. That means he was supposed to be the next high priest. And guess what? John the Baptist, when he baptized Jesus, he laid hands on him. Do you know what he did? He transferred the priesthood from Levi to Judah. And Jesus' clothes was intact. And Jesus took over his position as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, forever. Praise God. So Jesus Christ is our high priest. Are you following this thing? Jesus, the high priest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. You're going to see that. Hebrews 4, 14. Look, he says, seeing then that we have a great high priest. He's not just a high priest. He's a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Hebrews 5, verse 1. Hebrews 5, 1. Look at this. He says, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Look at the next verse. He says, who can have compassion on the ignorant? And on them that are without the way, for he himself has passed, for he himself is also compassed with the infirmity. Come to uh, the verse 10. He says, God of God, Jesus, and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus in the New Testament is our legitimate high priest. Are you here with me? So Jesus, say Jesus, Jesus. is my high priest. Say Jesus, Jesus, is my high priest. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. Hebrews 6, 20. He says, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is a high priest forever. He's not just a high priest, he's a merciful priest. Praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Hebrews chapter 9, the verse 24 to 28. Now, this is good. Look, he says, For Christ is not entered. The high priest was the one who entered the most holy place once a year. Now, the Bible is saying, Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. That means the tabernacle was only a prototype of the original one in heaven. So after Jesus died, just like a high priest entered into the holies, Jesus entered into heaven for us. Glory. With his own blood, not with the blood of an animal. And guess what the Bible says? Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Look at the next verse. He says, nor yet that he should offer himself often. As the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Look at the next one. He says, next one. He says, for them as he have often suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world, that he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He put away sin by one sacrifice. He put away sin. He, he put sin away. So sin is not hindering man anymore. Sin is not a problem of God and a problem of man anymore. He put sin away once and for all. Next verse, look at it. And as he's appointed unto men to die once, but after this, the judgment. This is what a lot of preachers have been preaching. Hey, he's appointed unto man to die once and after that. 
I see most of the time, people forget that there's a, there's a semicolon there. So he has not finished. So you can't use it to preach a full mouse. This is not a full mouse scripture. It's believer scripture. Look at the next verse. He says, as it's appointed unto man to die once. And after that, judgment. Look. So Christ. So this one was not talking about you. He was talking about Christ. He says, so Christ was offered once. Now, Paul was saying that just like human beings die once. And after they die, there's judgment. Jesus also once met with an appointment with death and judgment. And guess what? To bear the sins of many. And look at what he's about to do. He says, and unto them that look for him, he shall appear a second time without sin. So, the Bible is saying when Jesus appears a second time, those who are waiting for him, who are waiting for Jesus, believers, he's not coming to talk about your sins. But what? Salvation. Here's a preacher saying that Jesus is coming, oh brother. Who says you want? Many of you don't understand this thing. Listen. <laughs> Jesus dealt with sin once and for all. He's not coming a second time to come and deal with sin. He's coming to deal with your salvation. So Jesus is coming. To deal, to deal with my salvation. This is good. It's not coming to do with your sins. And like I've always been saying, many Christians are thinking that when we get to heaven, there will be a, some song flat screen. This time, probably because God is the most powerful thing, we will have a 182,000 size screen. So that one, even if you are fat, you will see. <laughs> Then we we'll project all your sins. Then we are all in a queue. Then everybody's in a queue. Then we are watching. Then if you know what you have done is more serious, then you see. Then some people will say, Opinion in you. Inspiration, after that inspiration, you hear something like bubble. People don't understand this gospel. There is no Samsung screen in heaven. And God is not going to project believers' sins in heaven. You know why? Because Jesus destroyed the tape on the cross. He destroyed the tape. So there is no sin to watch. I love the experience of a man called Francis Hunter who had an experience in heaven. And in heaven, he was walking with Jesus. Jesus took him to a, a room full of files. And Jesus said, pick any of the files. Fortunately, when he picked up, it was the files of Abraham. And he began to go through the files. When he went through the files, he saw uh, uh, there was a time Abraham gave water to some donkeys. He gave food to some strangers. All was recorded there. Abraham did so many good things. He was there. Some of them he didn't even find the Bible, but he was in the books. And he was, when he finished reading it, he was still flipping, checking back page. And he asked uh, the angel who took him there, Where's the other book? And he said, Which other book? 
the book what Abraham said. When he lied, and Abraham smiled, he says, Over here, we don't record sins. He said, Over here, we don't record sins. He said, You people see poorly from the earth in heaven, things like that are not here. And God reminded me something. Do you know that in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, it mentioned the hall of faith, not the hall of sin. All the people who are in Hebrews that were mentioned by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, but they all committed sins, but it was not recorded. It was their faith that was recorded, not their sins. So Hebrews 11 was the hall of faith, not the hall of sin, in the state in heaven. Because before Paul wrote that Jesus had died and Jesus died washed all their sins. Noah was a drunkard, it was not recorded. David was a murderer, it was not recorded. Moses was a murderer, it was not recorded. Moses not even entered promised land, but they said good things about him. <laughs> I know some of you will take you a thousand years to understand, that's okay. <laughs> I forgive you, it's okay. Hallelujah. God. So Jesus is a great high priest. Praise God. Now, let's quickly finish. Now, Give me a picture of the cross. The crosses. There are different crosses. Now, there were different crosses in those days. No. Different crosses. One is times, one is plus. Check it. But you didn't say it. Praise God. Now, there were different types of crosses in those days. Now, the Romans were so wicked that they had to invent more wickedness of how to kill people. So there were different types of crosses there. One is called the Crux Simplex. Which one is? That one is eye-shaped. So that one is not like this. It's called Crux Simplex. The second one is called Crux Decusata. Crux Decusata was called its X in shape. So that one, a cross. <laughs> That's how you die on it. The next one was called Crux Commissa. Which one is? That one is a capital T. A capital T. And the last one is Crux Emissa. Crux Emissa is small T. Small T. That was the cross Jesus died on. And significantly, he didn't die on the X one, the I one, or the capital T one, on the small T one. It's amazing. Why? Now, in the Bible, in Hebrew, there are 22 Hebrew alphabets. The first Hebrew alphabet is Aleph. Aleph is a picture of an ox that is used for sacrifice. The last Hebrew alphabet is Tav, small t, which is a picture of the cross. Now, the word Aleph represents an ox that is used for sacrifice. Do you know that Jesus Christ was the one that was used for sacrifice? So the first word is Aleph, sacrifice. The last word is Tav which is the cross, telling us that Jesus was a sacrifice that was put on the cross. It's the Aleph Tav. And the Greek word for Aleph Tav is Alpha and Omega. He is the Alpha. The beginning and the end. So he began everything and ended it. And those days, the cross, that it, it, it was heavy wood. It was very heavy. And the cross Jesus carried was one ten pounds. One ten pounds. After he had been terribly whipped and maltreated, he carried a one ten, one ten pound weight cross. 
Praise God. Now, crucifixion, you see, the types. Crucifixion was actually invented by a man called Nimrod. Very wicked guy. I can't talk about him. In fact, it is believed that it was invented by the wife. The wife was called Sir Ramis. She invented it. And then Alexander copied it. Then later, the Romans also copied it. It was believed that Nero killed 500 Christians by crucifixion every day in his garden. Thank God we are in the days of no, Nero. Praise God. And they invented it. They invented it to cause pain to people. Praise God. And quickly, Jesus Christ was crucified at a place called Golgotha. So, Golgotha. Golgotha. And it's amazing. Praise God. And you know, in Latin, is the word Calvary. In Hebrew, it was called Golgotha. And it's amazing. Why did this happen this way? Do you know the place Jesus was crucified was the same place Isaac was sacrificed? Mount Moriah. The same place. So Jesus fulfilled it. Hallelujah. And you wonder why did they choose Golgotha? Let me show you. The word Golgotha means the place of skull. The place of what? Skull. Human head. Skull. So the place, let me have the picture. If you look at the mountain, it looks like a human head. Can you see? Yeah. I think I gave you more than one picture. Check the next one. Look. It looks like the skull. Are you following? Yeah. And that was the exact place the cross was erected. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3, when the prophecy was given to the woman, he said the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. Yeah. It's also full here. Wow. When the cross was erected, the devil was crushed. Oh. <laughs> it's amazing. How they derived the name was beautiful. After they killed Goliath, he brought his head to Jerusalem. And he buried it in the place and called the name of the place Goliath of Gath, which is Golgotha. Wow. wow. So David buried the head and Jesus came to crush it. Hey. <laughs> see so the devil was destroyed on the cross. The cross was the destruction. He said the seed of the woman. Now think about it. Does a woman have a seed? No. But the Bible says the seed of the woman. It's the man that has the seed. But the Bible says the seed of a woman. That means it was not a man that gave birth to Jesus. Oh. It's the seed of the woman. Where did the seed come from? It came from God. Who is the woman? As Jesus handled the cross and saw the mother, he said, Woman, woman, behold your son. So that woman was married. So if you're married, be emotional. <laughs> <laughs> the seed of the woman shall crash the head of the serpent. Now, listen, this is significant, significant truth. On the cross, the devil was destroyed. Now, listen, the head of the serpent was crushed. 
Do you know when you cross the head of the serpent, it, it's still alive for some time? Yeah. Which part begins to shake? Tail. So the only part left for the serpent is his tail. In the Bible, tails represents deception. The Bible says that Satan, his tail drew one dead. How? Through deception. So tail signifies deception. So the only part of the devil, the only power the devil has today is only the power of deception. His head is gone. His authority and power is gone. But his deception is still there. So if you are having any symptoms in your body, if you are having any trials, don't think the devil is so powerful. He's only using the rest of his tail. Because his head has been taken. His authority. No, listen, the poison is in the head of the snake. So if the head is taking the poison, the power, the authority the snake has is gone. Listen, the devil has no authority over your life. He has no authority over your marriage. He has no authority over your business. The devil no longer has authority. So Jesus said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning. He says, behold, I give you power to trample upon snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means Hurt you. Nothing. Nothing. Unfortunately, the devil has been magnified in so many churches. Today, in churches, when you go 90% of the time is spent on the devil. Who is chasing you? Who is killing you? Who has married you spiritually? What you are eating in your dream is full of that. I watched a video of a church where they were using caves to whip the ground. They said you are whipping Satan. Nonsense. Stupidity. Foolishness. <laughs> Satan. I'm sure after the service, Satan will find a way of whipping them because they don't understand. Can you whip Satan? It's a shame. In fact, many believers have, have been made to think Satan is omnipresent and omnipotent and omniscient. <laughs> Satan is ongoing. Hey, don't tell anybody where you're about to travel, though, because you don't know the spirit in the air. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> so somebody wants to say something. Satan <laughs> is everywhere. Be careful. You see, the mentality. See, the devil has succeeded. So you are already afraid of, of him from a distance. Meanwhile, the Bible says in the book of Job 1 that Satan himself said, I'll be moving to and fro. So the devil is at one place at one time, to and fro. Oh. And for your information, when God gave Satan the permission, he said, no, have you not created a head? So the devil himself, some, some people are untouchable. Oh. The devil recognizes. He says, you have made a hedge. So the devil himself recognized that Job was untouchable. Listen, Satan is aware of those who are untouchable. Yes. Yes. The demon said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? That means you must know who you are before the devils recognize it. The devil is powerless, so stop giving him authority. Today the message of Christ has left the church. We only preach Christ in Easter. Shame of the church. 
We only preach Christ on Easter. We celebrate more Jesus died for you. And people are emotional. This thing is not emotional. It's a life. It's not a thing. And I've always been saying it. You see things. It is finished. His blood conquered. Jesus rose again. All these things after that, they come back. Who stole my wedding? <laughs> Devil, where are you? Devil, see me later. Devil, come back here. Enemies must die. Ah, <laughs> Satan, finish you. <laughs> so you see, we've given Satan so much power. You see, that's what the church is all about. Because some people have been. Uh, when newcomers come to church, we preach to them salvation. When they are done, when they qualify, they say, come for the real thing, deliverance. <laughs> so I see salvation is an elementary teaching. When you qualify, before you come for demonic teaching. Uh, and that's the problem. But they don't know salvation is the message it has. Because salvation is deliverance. So you see, the problem of the church is wrong teaching. Wrong teaching empowers the devil. Ignorance empowers the devil. And I always keep saying this. Stop interpreting dreams by philosophies in this world. If you see a tortoise, your life will be slow. If you are wearing school uniform, your life is going back. If you are eating meat, you are about to be a witch. Now, you see, it looks funny, but I'm telling you, people are serious bondage. Spirit sleeping with people left to right center. <laughs> left to right center. So you can imagine. Praise God. Now, so you see, many, many, of, many of these people are living in so much bondage. And the problem is that most of them have been fasting. They pray, they give them direction, oil, everything. They try everything. It's not working. Sometimes it stops for two weeks. After some time, it comes back. You see, that's the problem. You don't know the truth about yourself. The truth about yourself. How can God live in you and devil come to sleep with you? How? Error. Error. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Hey. New creation. So you see, we just confess these truths, but don't understand what we are made of. How can I be under an ancestral case? From where? The believer does not have ancestral cases. He has revelation crisis. Some of you say you don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I've been a prophet for a living years, so I know what I'm talking about. There's no deliverance I've not done before. I've done it several times. Oh, we are receiving testimonies. People came there within two weeks. Someone said, a demon is sleeping with her. Uh, she came in two weeks, that didn't stop, just like that. Automatically, nobody lay hands on her. No one lay hands on her. For me, alright, I've been eating in dreams. Uh. <laughs> hey, you devil bring the food I'll eat it. Bring the bamboo and tilapia, I'll eat it. Important butter, I'll eat it. Plantain chips, I'll eat it. Chicken, I'll eat it. Bones, I'll eat it. Chicken and chips, I'll eat it. Pork, I'll eat it. So it's mentality, I'm telling you. How can I eat in dream and I'll wake up and they say my spiritual life? 
my uh, prayer life is hot. <laughs> so you see, you see, Christian, the Bible says, as he is, and look at how you are behaving, shamefully. As he is, so are you in this world. And you eat and drink. He said, Jesus. Is like Dogo. Telling you, people are suffering from nothing. People are suffering from nothing. I'm telling you. Let me let's call ancestral case. I know many shall, can give me so many theologies. I always ask pastors one question. So the pastor being the deliverance, why is that he doesn't have a problem? Always help people with problem. And the people cast out the devil, the pastor is okay. So what, what does the pastor know that the church doesn't know? Wow. Teach them. Wow. So that the people will become like you. But you see, pastors will not tell them. They will not teach them the truth. They will keep them under them because they make more money. They make more big money of them. How are you, pastor? Baby, I'm sexy in my office. How are you, my daughter? What did you say was wrong with you? Okay. Take care and oil. Add 5,000 dollars to this. I'll give you a certain direction. Your troubles will be over. When you take the oil, go to the sea. Look into the sea. Then throw the oil and shout, my shame is gone. Every glory that has been hidden in the pot. And how says Christ in the hope of glory? How can Christ be in the pot? <laughs> you see, that's the problem. That's the problem. It's unfortunate, you know, you see, when you invite me to a church, I won't come and preach this. Because you invite me. <laughs> and I need the Lorraine. <laughs> wisdom. Ah, wisdom. Wisdom. So we call it wisdom. <laughs> No, because you can't use one day to establish doctrine in some church. Yeah. You have taught the people for 35 years. What are you going to say one day? So go and encourage them. <laughs> so I guess you know, when I say encourage, I don't mean that I go and encourage them to be where they are. I just encourage them with the word of God and I'm out. Are you people? I like catch you like this. Yeah. 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 So we don't spend time promising, we spend time teaching. We're flowing at our level. Let them call any system and say, come. I see that you look at my Let's have to Jesus was wearing pants on the cross. He was not wearing pants. 
Those days when soldiers are punishing you, they punish you as a criminal so that others who watch will not repeat it. When you see what is happening to your fellow, I'm telling you, you know, they make you completely naked. So Jesus was nakedly naked. Nothing was covered. He was not wearing boxer shorts. I'm telling you, it's a serious thing. He was completely naked on the cross. And so I can't imagine it. How can Jesus, God, be made naked? Hey, so everything was done in I'm telling you. They just beat him and you give me a picture. So, when we are talking about true shame, Jesus went to it. Shame. Shame. That's true shame. Naked. And the whole town gathered. And we're watching the nakedness of God. This is not funny. Make naked. Now, what was Jesus for? Why was he made naked? In the, in the garden, nakedness was not a shame. Man was naked, yet was not ashamed. After sin came, nakedness became a shame. So there was a change of order. In the Bible, nakedness represents guilt. It represents vulnerability. The moment they realized that they were naked, they began to run. Nakedness signifies fear. They lost confidence in themselves. Nakedness represents loss of confidence. They became vulnerable. They had to hide in trees and hide from God because they were naked. So nakedness is something serious. Today, nobody can walk in town naked. If someone walks in town naked, they say you are a madman. That is it. Because of sin. Sin made nakedness a shame. But men were not naked. When, when man was naked, there was nothing wrong with him. He, didn't even, he was not even conscious of his nakedness. Until sin came in. And guess what God did? God sacrificed an animal and took the skin of an animal and used it to cover the nakedness of man. For God to use the skin of an animal, that means another animal was killed, number one. Number two, the animal was innocent. And number three, the animal was made naked because the skin covers him. So the animal was made naked. Adam was having thick leaves on him. God took it off. Do you know that after man used thick leaves to cover himself, since that day, anything connected to fig tree was evil before God. Because fig trees now represented self-righteousness. So when Jesus saw the fig tree, he remembered Genesis. It's no much right of him. And it will go to the roots. And then God abhors self-righteousness. Zacchaeus wanted to climb the fig tree to see Jesus. Jesus said, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. Because the word Zacchaeus means pure. So Zacchaeus was feeling his purity through the, through the means of self-righteousness to see Jesus. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. You're not the one to get to the tree to see me. I said, I'm the one to get to the tree on the cross so that you can see me. So, Jesus fulfilled this. On the cross, he was made naked. Why? 
God was giving us a picture of Genesis. That animal that was made naked to cover him, Christ was made naked. So we will clothe with righteousness, clothe with glory, clothe with holiness. We are clothed. Like I told you, nakedness represents guilt. Today we have been covered with righteousness. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Tell someone, I'm not naked. So the believer is righteous. I'm righteous. This is good news. I'm righteous. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your righteousness. I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Come on, I'm righteous. I'm righteous. I'm righteous. I'm righteous. Now someone says, okay, well, righteousness brings food on my table. You understand this? Righteousness is a power. Righteousness is a power. Tell somebody it's a power. Those days, do you know that righteousness came through the law? And all those who obeyed the law were called righteous. Number two, all those who obeyed the law were blessed with the blessings for obedience of the law. And today, God has given us the gift of righteousness, which is Jesus. You know what it means? Every blessing God has is for you because you are righteous. And that should make you confident because righteousness is not what you do. Righteousness is who you are. Righteousness is not a doing. Righteousness is a being. It's a being. It's not a doing. It's not what you do. So some of you feel more righteous when you have done some good. You feel less righteous when you have done some bad. Your righteousness is not like the city note or the dollar note. That appreciates and decreases with time, circumstance. No, your righteousness is Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I'm righteous. I don't know about you. I'm righteous. I had a pastor, are you righteous? He says, No one can tell. I said, Pastor, you should be able to tell. So I knew what he was teaching the people. Just last week. He says, no one can tell. And I said, Pastor, so if Jesus comes, are you going to heaven? He said, no one can tell that one. I said, Pastor. That man is my pastor. He said, you went to the Bible school. Just here. So what did you learn in the Bible school? Ah, he said, nobody should be able to tell. I said, you should be able to tell if you are saved. And I said, how much do you have in your pocket? He says, I have 50 galaxies. Why are you not able to tell? You should be able to tell if you have something. Yeah. So believers who are not sure whether they'll make heaven, what believer are you? Mm. What did you believe? <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. You ask someone, are you saved? He says, yes, I'm saying, how do you know you are saved? Mm-hmm. Oh, because I go to church. If Jesus should come today, what's the percentage that you go to heaven? 50%. I said, what's of the other 50? What is the other 50 doing there? He says, oh, that one is the bad thing that I do. And I realized that 95% of Christians are not Christians. I'm telling you. Because you cannot even define the basis of your salvation. How do you become a Christian? So all what you are learning. So you see, people are chasing after other things. Yet even their own salvation and security. They can't define it. And someone says, that one... We can learn it later. Let's do the cases. <laughs> you see, that's the problem. Because 
until you define what salvation is, until you know you are saved, you are assured of your salvation. Every other topic you know is nonsense. It sounds strong, but I'm telling you the truth. Some of us, God has given me boldness. Glory, glory. So sometimes don't be afraid for me. I have it. <laughs> okay, 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 sir. Okay, sir. Oh, for a prophet to be preaching grace, I'm telling you. <laughs> it takes grace to be grace. Satan, we enforce victory. So you keep him where he belongs. 
that spiritual warfare. The Bible never said fight a good fight to the devil. He said fight a good fight of faith. So Jesus was made naked. I hope somebody is being blessed. Yes. Are you sure? Yes, sir. All right. The Lord told me that in the next two years, the whole Ghana is going to persecute me. I said, God, <laughs> I can't wait for this day. <laughs> and the Lord said, after two years, now it. You will expand and the whole world will help you. <laughs> so don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Yeah. So I'm preaching this gospel with boldness. Boldness. Nothing can stop it. And don't try to beg me. Please put the tone. No, no, no. We beg. Oh, dear Lord. The nails in the palms of Christ. Now, the nails that was used on Jesus Christ was not the normal nails used for carpentry. The nails that give him a picture of the nails. The, the, no, not this one. The nails itself. The nails was between seven to nine inches. Check your phone. The picture of the nails are there. It was seven to nine inches long. So when... According to history, when you are nailed, you know what happens to you? The nerves in your hand all tear. So even if you survive the crucifixion, your hands will be paralyzed forever. And Jesus was nailed in the palms with a seven-inch nail. Now, what was the significance of this lady? Let me do this in five minutes and we are out of here. Colossians 2, verse 14. Colossians 2, 14. Now look at this. He says, bloating out the handwriting ordinances, which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. What God is telling us was that the nails in the palms of Jesus was dealing with the handwriting requirements, which was against us, which was the law. Now guess what? Moses received ten commandments. Five here, five there. Jesus was nailed in the palms. Five here, five here. What was he doing? He was ending it. The handwriting requirements which was against you was nailed on the cross. Today, the law can never be against you. Let's go. According to this lady, when you are nailed, your median nerve, which is the main nerve that connects strength to your heart, is destroyed. That means the power of the law has been destroyed. The nerve, the strength of the law has been destroyed. So the believer is no longer under the law. We are under grace. Say, I'm no more, I'm no more. under the law. Under the law. I, am I am under grace. People are offended when they hear you under grace, but we keep saying, say, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I'm under grace. I'm under grace. You know, someone will see someone says, Oh, don't pay life for it. Ah, I want to pay death. We are not under the law. We are under grace. Whether you like it or not, you better you know that. The earlier the better. We are under grace. See, those who fight for the law like that, they don't understand the technicalities of the law. 
The law was not Ten Commandments. It was a subset of the law. It was 613. Disobey one, disobey all. If you want to obey one, you must obey all. And all the people who fought against the law have already broken the law before they even argue. How? There was a law that stated that don't shave your beard. Everybody has shaved before. See that right? If you shave, it's a sin. You shave every week, every month. No, if you live here like that, we shave. That's even that father. I'm still under the law in my habit. That law that you need to be shaved. There was a law that stated that don't wear two or more materials. So you cannot wear cotton and nylon. How many materials are you wearing? See that. You've already seen so you see, when Jesus redeems you from the curse of the law, he has done you great, great work. Say, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Say, grace. Grace is taking care of me. I am under the care of grace. Wow.